Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I am a yoga teacher with many years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to show you how to get confident, speak clearly, feel authentic, grow your impact, earn your worth, and build a community. For years, I've been working with teachers in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and I've seen so many teachers transform, and I can help you get there too. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to also follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 230. So we are rolling into the 200, 200ths of episodes, if that's the way you say it. So I'm so glad that you're here. I am recording this on March 10th, and this will go live on March 13th, 2023. And I'm really excited for this weekend in part because it's the weekend. I'm recording this on a Friday. And also because this weekend we set the clocks ahead. So number one, that means the clock in my car will finally be up to date because I didn't know how to change it. I got a new car last year and I didn't know how to change the clock to be in sync. So now when I look at the clock in my car, it'll be up to date. Uh, But most importantly, that means winter is just about done, and I'm super excited about that. I have been working out indoors for the entire winter, and while it's been great to get more consistent yoga practice in, but especially getting more HIIT in and more resistance training, I've been really, really committed. If you've been watching my IG stories, I sometimes post, uh, post things on there about different exercises I'm doing. I really can't wait to get it on the road. I'm a longtime runner and running for me is like the fail-proof way to stay in good cardiovascular health. And then I come in and I do a little weights and I do a little yoga uh, on different days and myofascial release. And that absolutely is my favorite exercise, daily exercise habit. So I'd love to know what your daily exercise habit is. So feel free to send me a DM uh, or when you're doing your workout, um, tag me on Instagram so I can see it. I am a big proponent of tagging um, creators of uh, exercise and wellness content when I love what they do. And I want to just give a shout out to Charlie Atkins, C-H-A-R-L-E-E Atkins, A-T-K-I-N-S. She has amazing exercise videos on YouTube. And I, I to exercise, uh, as I've been describing, I literally just take my phone into the workout room and I pull her up on YouTube. She has a whole bunch of videos on there. She also has a paid channel on her own uh, platform, but you can do great with the free content she has. And I pull different videos. Sometimes I do two 20 minute videos or one 40 minute video uh, or a 30 minute video. Really, really good stuff. I would also recommend uh, Kayla Itsenes, uh, I-T-N-I-T-S-N-E-S. 
she actually has an interesting story. She was one of the OGs of fitness uh, videos. And even before video content, she created a um, kind of an ebook. This was probably like six or seven years ago when ebooks were sort of all the rage. And she created this how to guide uh, with a number of different exercises. And she started posting, I want to say on Instagram, these before and after pictures because people were downloading her exercise book, ebook. And they were getting amazing results. And the before and afters just started this like amazing exposure trend for her. And she started posting videos. She started doing things, um, classes online. Her following was massive, is massive. And she started doing live events. And it it got to be such a huge um, entrepreneurship story for her as a fitness um, expert. And she ended up, I believe her company, her brand uh, was purchased by, I want to say iFit or another big fitness company for multiple, multiple millions of dollars. You can Google it. Um, I want to even say maybe in the 500 million, 600 million mark. And she still does things under kind of the auspices of this parent company, But uh, she is a real example, uh, and Charlie as well, uh, to the power of using these platforms, whether it's Instagram or YouTube, as a way to get your name out there. And while you may be listening to this saying, oh, my God, Karen, there's no way I could, you know, get to that level of exposure and and, uh, revenue generating, um, uh, revenue generation, it's not necessarily about getting to that level. It's more just appreciating and recognizing that you have the same access to the same platforms as these folks do. And it doesn't take a huge following to start to feel the impact of joy and satisfaction of helping more people. And because these platforms are online, of course, it means you don't need to leave your house. So if you're listening to this and you've been hesitating on starting um, an active Instagram profile where you're putting yourself out there and teaching or starting a YouTube channel or um, starting teaching online classes or getting back to teaching online classes, you know, definitely do not wait. And I can definitely help you with that if you're a little bit unsure of the technical aspect of things. So anyway, this is a little sidebar I didn't anticipate going into. I just wanted to to call that out both from the perspective of you exercising, if you want to look for new new content, and also just this topic of developing kind of a stream of teaching access for people where they can access you from anytime, anywhere. Uh, I mean, even think about it, just one more quick thing on this. When I uh, recently went on vacation, I was streaming my classes from vacation and teaching online classes in St. Martin. And so I could turn the computer so that people could see the ocean behind me. It was amazing. So it it's something you can do wherever you go. And uh, so I absolutely just love the flexibility and freedom of that. So today we are going to be talking about anatomy and I'm going to be going into some muscles that I really want you to know. So this is going to be similar to the shoulder anatomy um, episode I did a couple episodes back. 
And I wanted to get into the anatomy today because I know last week's episode with my friend Jill Fubister was really about mindset and manifestation and up-leveling your vibration. So I like to kind of mix the episodes up and I'd love to hear from you what you think as you listen to the show. Do you prefer more things about anatomy, more things about teaching skills, more things about mindset for yoga teachers, more things about uh, topics that live in kind of the woo-woo space, manifestation and things like that. So please send me a DM on Instagram and let me know what you enjoy hearing about the most. I want to start out though by, I'm going to add kind of a new segment to this. And if I can remember, I put it in my notes for what I want to include every week, kind of the behind the scenes, the thought behind the scenes of some of my Instagram posts, because if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I love to do videos and I'm a big proponent of doing reels just about every day because what I teach is so great for video. It's a lot harder to do a static post about these anatomy and teaching concepts. So I love to do video. So I have a lot of reels that I do. I also though do static posts and I do that as a way to share um, approaches I have to teaching, to in a lot of ways, bust a lot of the beliefs that are out there that yoga teachers tell me they have. These are not beliefs that I assume they have. It's what I hear from yoga teachers. And I do those static posts in a really particular way. I'll just give you a little bit of behind the scenes logic here. I do them with just text on a backdrop because I really want when you look at it, I really want you to clearly see what my message is without being distracted by a picture. So if you notice on my Instagram, I don't have a lot of pictures of me. Every once in a while I do. It's mostly the reels and these static posts with just text because I really want the message, even if you don't agree with it, and I'm not out there to convince you, I'm simply out there to share my approach to working with teachers. And it's completely up to you as to whether or not these things spark your interest and curiosity, or if you reject them, totally your choice. Uh, so I'm always interested to see, and I think a lot of this has to do with the Instagram algorithm and how much they feed my stuff to people. However, there are certain things that eke through and get, I don't know, 10, 15 responses, meaning people like the post or comment, and in my world, anything like around five or 10 interactions with people kind of hits my radar as something that um, is resonating with people. So the one this week that did is something I've talked about multiple times on the podcast here. And it's interesting to me, I sort of reframed it in this post. And the post says, once you break up with your practice as the source of your cues, you'll find a freedom in teaching you never thought possible. And what I wrote was, if you're practicing with your class and love it, scroll on. But if you're thinking, I'd love to walk around more. I'd love to see my students all the time. I'd love to save my energy and my body for the long term. I'd love to build better connection with my students. I'd love to be able to have them hear me better. I'd love to be able to adjust my cues based on what I see they need. These are all fantastic reasons to save your practice for you and develop your teaching skills so that you can walk and talk. Want to learn how? Book a call with me and I'll show you how. 
So the point of this post is pretty obvious, right? It's presenting the reasons, the benefits to you and your class that come from the walk and talk approach. And that approach to teaching is one that teachers don't often use. And even if they're trained to walk and talk, they pretty quickly begin to practice with their class because when they build their sequences, what I'm hearing teachers are doing is they're practicing a new sequence at home multiple times to quote unquote, learn it. And then they go into class and they're anchored to their practice to teach. So then they go into class, they put the mat down, they do the practice with the class. So all of the things I said in that post are benefits that you get and that your students get when you stop practicing with your class. And the thing I think that resonated with people the most is when I said in the post, you'll find a freedom you never thought possible. I can't emphasize this enough. This is where when I work with teachers inside my program and I teach them this approach, their eyes completely light up and they're like, why has no one ever taught me this before? And it feels so amazing. I mean, the idea that you can walk into a class, not feel the compulsion to put a mat down and just stand there and talk and be unencumbered by any need to put your hands on the ground, demo anything, unless you choose to do a one-off demo. And just to be there in the space with them, I can't tell you how freeing that feels. Even when you teach online, I taught an online class this week and I just walked into the room. The room that I use for my online classes is the same one I use for my Instagram reels. I'm sure, I mean, if you follow me there, you've seen it. And I just walked into the room and I was looking at the computer screen and I was talking to them and I was saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm so glad you're here. And we're going to practice now for 30 minutes. You don't even need to look at me because I'm not going to be doing any of the yoga all I'm going to do is guide you through the practice and give you an opportunity to come into the moment, to be present, whatever I literally said. But the point was, I said it because most people coming to online classes, I think, are expecting to have to look at the screen and see the teacher doing it. And the interesting thing for this particular class was that one of the students in the class, um, kept looking up at the screen. So I could tell that even though I had given this disclaimer at the beginning, there were a couple of times she was a little bit, I don't know, maybe unsure of what the instruction was. So that allowed me to, in that moment, help her more by restating and reframing my cue so that she could understand it. And I would not have recognize that I needed to do that if I was doing all the poses with them because I couldn't see her. So granted, I'll give you that she was probably looking at the screen because this style of teaching was maybe a little bit unfamiliar to her, but the way to help somebody is not necessarily to jump on your yoga mat and do everything. It's a great chance for you as a teacher to get better at cueing. I just can't emphasize this enough. I'm so glad that this seems to have resonated with, with people. And if I'll give you the same opportunity, if you want to talk through this so that you can also do the walk and talk approach, just send me a DM on Instagram and I'll set up a quick 15 minute conversation with you. And I'll give you some high level 
uh, ideas around how you can start to do this. So that is that. Okay, we are going to get into the topic today. And as I said, you know, this is a topic that I love to talk about. I could talk about anatomy forever. Um, and what I wanted to do, you know, I had a coaching call this week with a with a teacher, and she was saying, um, you know, I'm not really sure what muscles I should focus on. And one of the really um, important things to recognize is as a yoga teacher, you don't necessarily need to know all the muscles in the body. There's about 600 muscles in the body. But what is important to know is what muscles you should know. <laughs> and this is one of the things that I do inside my program is I only give you the muscles in the program that I think you need to know. And you'll have your whole life to learn as many as you want, but there has to be a starting point. And so I've done all of that pulling through the information and I just present the ones you need to know. And the other thing I want you to keep in mind is even if you had a short list of muscles you need to know, if you went out there on your own and tried to learn those muscles, it would be hard for you to most likely know what about those muscles do I need to know? So this is sort of the other piece. It's not just which ones, it's what about them? And so I'm going to give you a really brief outline of what you need to know about the muscles you're studying. So here is the outline. Number one, you need to know the name of the muscle, duh, sort of obvious. <laughs> Number two, you need to know where it is in the body. So if you walked up to a person on the street, you would need to be able to point to where is that muscle. Number three, you need to be able to state the general origin and insertion. Not every little point, but generally the origin and insertion. And then the last thing is you need to be able to state what is the concentric action of the muscle. So what's the action of the muscle? What does it do when it does its primary role? Now, most muscles, I could even probably say every muscle has a primary role and a secondary role, maybe even a tertiary role. Um, however, there's always one thing it's primed to do. And this is, is in part because of where it is in the body, the muscles, I'm sorry, the uh, origin and insertion, the position, the direction of the muscle fibers, that sort of thing. So there's always one main thing it does. And that's really the key thing you need to know. And the amazing thing when you know that is that that becomes the source of your anatomically based cues. So one of the cueing frameworks I teach in the program and I've shared even in my free content is when you share an anatomy based cue, speak to the concentric action. So in other words, if you're doing warrior, if your students are doing warrior one, the muscle of knee extension of the straight leg is the, um, is the quadriceps. So you could speak to the quadriceps in an anatomy-based cue to the back leg, and you could connect <clears throat> the position of the back leg, the position of the back knee to the quadriceps. And that's a way to share an anatomy-based cue and that's a framework. <clears throat> and I really want you to appreciate what I've done there. I've given you a framework. A framework is an approach, an approach to sharing an effective, good, solid cue that people will understand. When you use a framework for your cues, the game changes. It changes because now you're organized and in control. You're not just going in, repeating stuff like a robot, reading off a script, you're teaching from what you know, but you're filtering it through an organized 
way of sharing it, what I call a framework. That is a game changer for yoga teachers. When I teach it inside the program, they're like, holy shit, how come no one ever taught me this before? Okay, so that gives you a little primer as to what you need to know. So now we're going to go through some of, I don't know I say, some of my favorite muscles, some of the top muscles. Bottom line, muscles that I really want to be sure you know. Okay, so number one, gluteus maximus. The gluteus maximus is, if we were to just generally point to it, we would be pointing to the back of our hip, so where we sit on a chair. And obviously there are two of them, one on the right, one on the left. The gluteus maximus, because of its broad shape, it has a number of points of origin and insertion. It's completely covering the back of the pelvis, which is known as the ilium. And it also attaches to the sacrum and the coccyx, as well as parts of the ligaments in the pelvis. So if you think about when you sit on a chair, that whole area there is pretty much covered by the origin of the gluteus maximus. The insertion of the gluteus maximus is on the femur. And it also goes into the IT band. So it merges into that portion of the lateral aspect of the thigh. And when I say the, um, the insertion is on the femur, it's on a particular part of the femur known as the gluteal tuberosity. So it actually has its own little, almost like a hook, if you put a hook on a wall to hang a picture, kind of like that. And when you look at the bones, you see there's a lot of indentations and little outcroppings. And, you know, there's a lot of texture to the bones themselves. And all of these areas of texture are places where muscles can begin and end, otherwise known as origin and insertion. So the isolated function or, or concentric action, primary role of the glute max is accelerating hip extension and don't forget, fun fact, external rotation. So hip extension from standing would be kicking the leg back as in a lunge. Hip extension from the back would be coming into bridge pose. So obviously your relationship to gravity makes a difference there. Hip extension from downward dog would be kicking the leg up in the air, okay? Uh, hip extension from the floor could also be, um, let's say you had your folks in reverse tabletop, and then you had them lift their hips up off the floor. That would be hip extension. So now you know name of muscle, origin insertion, isolated function. The piece though I wanted to point out in terms of the external rotation. So keep in mind, that's a secondary function. The primary function I want you to keep in mind is hip extension. But don't forget about the external rotation because you'll see students when they're doing a pose with various hip extension, you'll see the muscle externally rotate. And the best example of this is wheel pose. In wheel pose, your students are most likely going to be turning their feet out because the glute max is also an external rotator. And so this is why it can be helpful to cue them to keep the feet straight and or to put a block between the feet not the hips, not the thighs, I mean, between the feet so that they can press the insteps of their feet against the block and uh, keep the feet straight. You don't want people to force it. You want them to encourage their body to move in that direction. Uh, however, if it's uncomfortable, obviously don't do it. 
So that's gluteus maximus. Okay, muscle number two, the psoas. Okay, so if I had a dime for every time somebody told me their psoas is tight, I'd be rich. <laughs> and if I also had a dime for every time I said to them, do you know where your psoas is? They would say, I don't really know. And these are students. So this is like one of the funny things, like people sort of pick up on muscle names from stuff they read online or from stuff they hear, or even in yoga classes when teachers use muscle names, but they aren't clear about why they're using the muscle name and they're not giving their students enough information so that the student can leave the class with new information that they didn't know before. So the psoas is, if you were to point to somebody's body, it'd be sort of hard to touch it because it's deep, deep, deep in the abdomen. Uh, however, generally speaking, one way you could sort of mimic where it is, is you could start if you took your right hand to the base of your spine, so around your body and palpated for the base of your spine, that would be the origin. And if you swung your hand around, let's say you have your right hand palpating the base of your spine, not down by your sacrum, your lumbar spine. And then if you palpate around, to the lateral hip where your glute medius and glute minimus is. And then you sort of feel for the top of the femur. That is directionally where the psoas is, except it's way deep in the body. I don't know if I ever told you before, I had an amazing experience many years ago, several years ago uh, at Cadaver Lab. And I remember when we got to the psoas, I slipped my hand deep in the abdominal cavity underneath the psoas. And I pulled up and I cannot tell you how strong a muscle it is. Very thick, very strong. And another fun fact, the fascia from the psoas merges with the pelvic floor musculature. So this is another reason for actually strengthening the psoas as opposed to always focusing on just lengthening it because we want to have strong pelvic floor musculature, especially in women, especially as we get older, because those muscles do tend to get weak. So that's a little sidebar there. So in terms of the psoas, we have the origin of the, of the psoas. Remember I asked you to put your right hand on your lumbar spine. So the origin of the psoas is the transverse processes and lateral bodies of the last thoracic and all lumbar vertebrae. So the transverse processes are those little wings on the bone uh, the, itself. So if you look at a vertebrae, it's got that little, those two little bones that sort of wing out like Batman wings. Those are the transverse processes. And that, again, remember I said the architecture of these bones provides lots of little hooks and nooks and crannies where muscles can start and end. So keep in mind just positionally or just um, where in the body we're talking about here, the last of the thoracic vertebrae, right? So you've got 12 thoracic vertebrae and all the lumbar vertebrae. So all of those before you get to the, um, to the sacrum. Okay, so the insertion, remember I said you're palpating for those lumbar vertebrae, you're wrapping around the, the lateral aspect of the hip where the glute medius and minimus are, and you're landing on the femur. So again, the insertion is the lesser trochanter of the femur. So trochanter is just like a little hook and on the femur. So that is the placement of the muscle. In terms of the concentric action, it is responsible for hip flexion, and also external rotation. So who do we say before was external rotation? 
we said gluteus maximus. So that means the gluteus maximus and the psoas are synergists when it comes to external rotation. A synergist is a muscle that helps another muscle do the same thing, do a similar function. So this is the takeaway for us as yoga teachers, hip flexion, psoas. There are other functions it does, but that's the main takeaway I want you to keep in mind. So again, remember, we're focusing on main takeaways. Okay, so the next muscle we're going to talk about is in the core. It's the transversus abdominis. So if you take your hands and you place them around your waist, that is where the transversus abdominis is. I wanted to bring this one up and I want you to remember it because it's not a core muscle that gets a lot of press, but it's a really important one. Imagine you have a big uh, sash around your waist and you're sort of cinching it in. If you sit up right now and cinch in as if you had a big sash around your waist, that's the action of the transversus abdominis. Now, because it goes around your whole body, it's going to have a really broad origin and insertion. So I'm going to give you the highlights, but remember, more important that you know generally where it is versus all these points themselves. So we're talking ribs seven through 12. Uh, part of the iliac crest of the pelvis, which the iliac crest is kind of that bony ridge. So if you take your thumbs and you walk your thumbs around your body, around your waist, you're kind of feeling for the ledge of the pelvis and the thoracolumbar fascia. I cannot say enough about the thoracolumbar fascia. It's also part of where the latissimus dorsi, the lats originate. It is a huge band of fascia at the base of the spine. And it is like this network of connective tissue that integrates with a whole bunch of muscles in the back. And this can also be the source of a lot of pain and discomfort for your students. So it's really important. You know, this is another piece of my program. I go into fascia because hello, we can't just focus on the muscles. We have to also understand fascia as well. So that's the origin. The insertion of the uh, transversus abdominis is the linea alba and the rectus sheaths. So those points are on the front of the body. So the linea alba, if you take your fingers and you sort of pad down um, from your sternum down to your belly button, that is the linea alba a little bit around where your belly button is. And then the rectus sheaths refers to the uh, portions of the rectus abdominis muscle. So basically what that means is in this description, we're describing the transversus abdominis wrapping from the back around to the front. And the function of the transversus abdominis is pulling in, pulling in, hugging the sides of the body in. Now, when you hug the sides of the body in, again, I was referring to fitness videos in the beginning of this conversation. If you've ever done a bear hold, so imagine you're on your hands and knees, and then the fitness instructor asks you to lift your knees off the ground and do a little bit of a rounding of the back and just hold. So that is what's called a bear, I think a bear hold, they call it. I should know I'm a personal trainer too, but I don't actually work in that capacity. I just have the certifications. I don't remember the terminology. I think it's like bear, bear holds. And what that does is it increases the abdominal pressure because you're pulling the belly button in and you're holding in this isolated way, this isometric contraction. So the transversus abdominis is creating that increase in um in abdominal pressure because you're holding the belly button in, which is a little bit of the rectus abdominis, FYI, but mostly 
action of the TA. So that's the transverse abdominis. All right, moving on. The next one is a muscle that has several different sections. I'm just going to present it to you in um, kind of the broad perspective rather than breaking it down into all its nitty gritty parts. Because again, the point of this conversation is to have you walk away with stuff maybe you didn't know before to the level that you know it as a result of listening to this conversation. It's not to have you be like a robot going out and memorizing this stuff. I want this to be information that flows freely from you. Okay. So the next muscle is the erector spinae. So think of the name erector spinae, erector spinae, erect spine, erect spine. So helps keep our spine erect. But the interesting thing is when it contracts, it takes us into extension. So extension is a backbend. I want you to think about when your students come to your classes, they probably haven't done a backbend in days. <laughs> they certainly haven't, if they haven't been to class, they probably haven't done wheel pose in days. But even in our daily life, we're just not doing backbends. We just don't have opportunities in our functional movement patterns where we're coming into uh, spinal extension. Like I honestly can't think I'm sitting here just in this moment. I honestly can't think of anything we're doing. If you can think of something, DM me on Instagram of anything we're doing where we're coming into spinal extension, sitting in the car, reaching for the back seat, reaching for stuff at the top shelf of the cabinet. All these things are not spinal extension. Like there really is very little we do to strengthen these muscles. And that's why when we come into yoga class and we watch our students come into up dog and dancer's pose and bridge pose, uh, and bridge doesn't even have a ton of spinal extension, the spine's more neutral. So really wheel pose, uh, locust, airplane, any locust variation, bow, these are all camel, active poses of spinal extension. And so don't be surprised if your students have trouble with these. And don't be surprised if like in something like camel, all they do is drop their head back. For a lot of people, they just have no opportunity to use these muscles. So the erector spinae, I want you to imagine muscles running alongside your spine and basically running from the sacrum all the way up to the base of the neck. There are three sections, but you can generally say the common origin is sacrum and iliac crest of the pelvis. So that's that little ridge I was talking to you about. And some of the transverse processes of um, lumbar, the five lumbar vertebrae. So we're starting there. So if you take your right hand and you place it on your sacrum, okay, you know where your sacrum is, right? And then you palpate up as far as you can go with your right hand. And then imagine continuing to go up that all the way up to the base of your neck. So the different sections um, insert in different areas. So some insert on the ribs, some insert in the neck itself. The main takeaway that I want you to take away from this particular muscle is that it's responsible for spinal extension. And I just went into all the poses that do that. Okay, so the next one, we have two more, this one and one more. The next one I really, 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 really want you to remember is the serratus anterior. The serratus anterior starts on ribs four through 12. So I want you to take your right hand and place it on your left side, right around 
uh, where the rib cage is. So as you take your left, I'm sorry, take your right hand and place it on your left side. So you could start out with your right hand under your left armpit and then take your right hand down maybe four or five inches and begin to palpate for your ribs and then see how far can you wiggle wiggle your right hand so that you're actually feeling for your scapula. And that's generally where the serratus anterior is. So ribs four through 12 is where it starts and it inserts on the medial border of the scapula. So the medial border of the scapula means the inside border. So when we say squeeze your shoulder blades together, we're referring to bring the two medial borders of your scapula together. So medial refers to middle. Now the isolated function, the concentric action of this muscle is to protract the scapula. So protraction is abduction, pulling the scapula apart. The uh, antagonist to this muscle would be the middle trapezius and the rhomboids bringing the scapula closer together, right? Bringing those medial borders closer together. Uh, but this muscle doesn't do that. This muscle is pulling the scapula apart. So in that bear hold, that's what's called bear holds. In the bear hold example from fitness I described where you're coming into your hand, you're coming into tabletop and then lifting your knees and off the ground and hovering there, your scapula are abducting, protracting, serratus anterior. When you bring people into plank, serratus anterior. When you bring them into low plank, serratus anterior. When you bring them into eagle, serratus anterior. So these are all muscle, uh, all poses where you want your students to be protracting the scapula. And the problem is for most people, the serratus anterior is really weak. So what happens is the rhomboids and the middle traps get stronger. The serratus gets weaker for, from underuse because we're hunching all the time. And so we're passively just stretching the back. Uh, and so when you have your students come to high push-up and low push-up, rhomboids and middle traps take over. And that's why when you look at them, they're collapsing towards the floor and their scapula are squeezing together, adducting. And so that's why it's helpful. Put them in plank, have them do little cat poses, little cat pose, plank, round the back, back to plank, plank, round the back, back to plank. Do it a couple times, that'll strengthen the serratus and will allow them to avoid that familiar sort of flop to the floor. And then the last one we're going to take a look at is the teres minor. Now, of course, if there's a teres minor, there's a teres major. We're just going to talk about teres minor today because the teres minor is an external rotator of the shoulder. And this is another muscle like the serratus that people don't use a lot. And so it tends to get weak, but we definitely need it, especially in downward facing dog. So the origin of the teres minor is the lateral border of the scapula. So if you were to look at somebody from the back and you'd be looking at their right shoulder blade, that outer edge. So remember before I said the medial border is close to the spine, the lateral border is more towards the armpit. So that medial border over to the humerus. And remember we said the femur had a trochanter? Well, the humerus has a tubercle and they're both little hooks. So the teres minor hooks onto the humor humerus from the scapula. What it does is it externally rotates the shoulder. So I want you to imagine something uh, thicker than a shoelace, um, maybe like 
maybe like the thickness of like a ribbon, like a general ribbon, not like a ribbon you use when you wrap a present, but more like if you go to the fabric store and you get like a thicker ribbon, that's about the size and shape of the Terry's Minor. Again, I've seen these things in cadavers and I, you can obviously just look up the pictures and you can see what it looks like. It's not a big, broad, flat muscle, like a piece of flank steak. It's more like a ribbon and it runs from the lateral border of the scapula over to the humerus to that greater tubercle, but it's on the back of the humerus. So that means that when it shortens, it's going to open that shoulder up, which is external rotation. So when we, where and how we want to use this is anytime we want our students to externally rotate, which in general, they can do pretty much easily when we're doing things where the hands are off the ground. So let's say like an airplane or dancer's pose, but when they're in downward dog and their palms are flat, we still want them to externally rotate their shoulders, but they need to keep their hands flat to the ground, which encourages internal rotation. So that's where the cue to roll the inner eyes, the elbows forward comes from. It's triggering to the teres minor and its partner external rotator infraspinatus. These are two muscles of the rotator cuff, by the way. And, um, and it helps the student externally rotate the shoulder, even though their palms are pronated, meaning facing the ground. Now, this is really muscle names that people won't know. So this is why, number one, you need to know what you're talking about. Number two, you need to give them a really good cue to help them activate these muscles without literally saying the names because the names won't help the students because they probably have never heard of these muscles. So again, that's why the cue to roll the inner eyes, the elbows forward can be helpful because that creates the external rotation even though the palms are in pronation. So there we go. Uh, we have come to the end of the list that I had. I hope this was helpful for you. Again, I absolutely love talking about this stuff. And I want to invite you, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking that this is really, you know, your time to finally just nail down all these details of anatomy, I am looking for five yoga teachers who really are going to make learning anatomy a priority in the next 30 days, I can promise you that working with me inside my program will give you that opportunity to just learn what you need to know and learn it so that you can have more confidence when you teach and you can teach classes that your students just love because they are not only practicing, they are learning. And you will feel that freedom that I talked about before. You'll be walking around the room. You'll be sharing from what you know. Your confidence will soar. Your students will love your classes. So if that way of teaching is a priority for you, I'm looking for five teachers. You can start as soon as next week. So send me a DM on Instagram and I'll give you all the details. So with that, I want to thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to do the next episode. Have a wonderful weekend, whatever you're listening to this, the next weekend that's coming up for you. And I hope to chat with you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste.
Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop page And I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page, and it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes that you wanna devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information, and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.